Okay, so uh, we'll get started. Uh, just an announcement. So today we are having an exam viewing if you're interested in uh, LSB 213, same room as last one. Um, it went over last time and I think some people had to wait a long time and that was partly just because there was just a lot of turnout but also I think some people were kind of not really taking in mind what, what with the exam viewing is generally for. So the exam viewing is for you to go through your exam and see what types of questions you're having trouble with, but I don't really have the time in that space to go over at length um, the rationale behind the questions. I bring, I bring the exams to office hours also. So there's going to be office hours on Thursday, and I, I, you know, for last midterm I brought the exams to the next four, four office hours until basically the second midterm I had the exams with me. So if you want to ask a question that you don't understand something about an exam, it's best to do that in office hours because there's just a lot of people that want to have a look at their exam, see what questions they got wrong, see what they're having trouble with. And we want to make sure we accommodate those people and that the wait times aren't too long and that we don't go over the time period. So I'm going to ask people to try to keep your exam viewing per exam on the order of five minutes if you're, if you're planning on coming. Um, at about 10 minutes, I'm going to ask you to kind of move it along um, and let the next person come in. Okay, so... Uh, So last class we talked about glycolysis and we got down to um, converting glucose, that, that three carbon skeleton of, that six carbon skeleton of glucose into two three carbon pyruvates, right? And then at the end of glycolysis, uh, depending on, on whether or not um, we're working in aerobically or anaerobically, we talked about during anaerobic metabolism taking those two electrons that were put on NAD8, NAD plus to make NADH, putting them back on pyruvate to make either lactate or eventually ethanol. And um, basically our sum ATP gain for glycolysis was just two ATP. So that's, so that's not very good. I mean, it's, 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 it's good to have ATP, but, but there's a lot more energy that you can get out of that. And so to do that, you need some other place to put those electrons that you put on the NADH. And so we're going to talk about, um, today we're going to talk about, so we talked about basically this step last, time, last class, glucose to pyruvate and glycolysis, and we also went from pyruvate back up to glucose. Um, and now we're going to go from pyruvate down to um, acetyl-CoA, and we're talking about acetyl-CoA going through the citric acid cycle. And the idea of what's going to happen and what you're going to see as you go through the citric acid cycle, um, so remember pyruvate is, is you know, a three carbon compound and there's two of them. So that, that, that's where your six carbons of glucose went. We're going to lose one of those carbons right off the bat by making acetyl-CoA. Acetyl-CoA is effectively a conjugated two carbon compound. And then we're going to take those two carbons that are on acetyl-CoA and lose them as subsequent carbon dioxide and citric acid cycle. So what's going to happen is basically we're going to take glucose, which is a reasonably reduced molecule. It's got some oxygens on it, but it's also got some hydrogens and some electrons on those. By the time we're done, we're going to take all those carbons that were on glucose, and they're going to be completely oxidized in the carbon dioxide. Right? There's basically no more electrons left that you can pull off that carbon. And those electrons are going to come off, and Similar to what happened in glycolysis, we're going to put those electrons onto a carrier. In this case, NADH and FADH2. Okay. So at the end of um, citric acid cycle, we'll have completely oxidized our carbons from glucose, and we're going to have reduced some, we're going to put those carbons on these electron carriers. Okay. That's what we're going to cover today. And then the last step is to somehow take those reduce electron carriers, that NADH and then FADH2, and make energy out of them. So we've basically banked all this energy, all these reduced electrons, sorry, all these reduced electron carriers. We've banked all this energy on them, and the question is, how do we convert that into ATP? And that's going to be next class. We're going to talk about oxidative phosphorylation. Okay? So we're going to focus on kind of first pyruvate to acetyl-CoA, and then acetyl-CoA through a citric acid cycle today. Yeah. 
Thank you. You are correct, sir. Sure, where my right. So we're going to um, oxidize. <laughs> okay, that's not a typo. That's significant. So I'm going to have to. So I, this was reduction, right? Redaction would be a typo, but oxidation is not a typo. So um, we're going to oxidize pyruvate further. Um, and I was apparently starting another thought here, but I decided it wasn't important. So. Is that what your question was about? First step is the production of activated acetate. So basically, this is acetylcholine. We're going to oxidize pyruvate further, and the first step is to make acetylcholine. It's a major something, but it's a major, it's a major metabolite. It, it's a major. Well, I think I was going to say it's a major branch point for doing a lot of different things. Okay, you can take acetylcholine, you can make NADH, but you can also do a lot of other things with it. So, but we'll get to that. Okay, so uh, one of the cool things, so you guys have probably, I'm sure, already covered this idea already a little bit, this idea that kind of your mitochondria are your, are your energy makers of the cell, and this is the reason why, right? So um, the neat thing about mitochondria is that we think that they're, we're, they're endosymbionts, right? So basically, bacteria can do Krebs cycle, and uh, the think, or citric acid cycle, this way of getting energy out of these reduced electron carriers, and... Uh, further conversion of pyruvate. And for eukaryotes, the way that we appropriated that was we basically absorbed these bacteria that uh, lost or, 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 or shunted a lot of their functions, the things, a lot of things they need to be able to do themselves. They transferred those functions to the, to the eukaryote, to the nuclear genes. And we basically just let that said to the mitochondria, okay, you're really, your job, there's other jobs, but your, one of your main jobs is just to take, uh, take these reduced electron carriers and, and make ATP out of them. So this is basically a bacteria that got absorbed billions of years ago and now is in charge of kind of helping power a eukaryotic cell, right? It's got its own nucleus. Well, it's got its own DNA. It's got its own ribosomes. It's got its own tRNAs. It's pretty cool. It's got its own RNA polymerase. So, uh, so basically, this is a kind of a summary of what's going to be happening, right? We're going to take pyruvate, oxygen. Um, well, we're going to make any. We're going to take. We're also going to during citric acid cycle. We're also going to take NAD and make NADH2, NADH, FADH2. We're going to make ATP. We're going to convert that further the NADH and the FADH2 that we make during citric acid cycle and convert that further to ATP, right? And one of the neat things that we're going to, that one of these neat concepts that's going to be kind of alluded to over this lecture and the next one is this idea of metabolons or substrate channeling. This idea that there's a lot of enzymatic reactions that kind of happen one right after the other. And to be able to make those reactions happen very efficiently, often the enzymatic steps, the multiple enzymatic steps that need to be done by several enzymes are kind of localized in three-dimensional space in the same place. So that basically a substrate gets passed to the first enzyme of a complex, something happens, and even before that enzyme, that, sub, that metabolite, that intermediate floats away, the next enzyme is right there to grab it and do the next step. And so it's this kind of, it's almost like a little factory where we think of enzymes as often, you know, A goes to B and then B floats away, and then some enzyme finds B and converts it to C, and then C floats away. But sometimes it doesn't work like that. Sometimes you've got this one complex that just goes like a factory. It's like a conveyor belt. It just goes from one uh, intermediate to the next. 
So this is the general idea of kind of the central basis of life, right? This idea of uh, we're going to take um, in, the, in the mitochondria this NADH, this reduced electron carrier, and convert it, take those electrons off of NADH and put them on the water, okay? And make ATP, right? And that's kind of the uh, inverse of, of photosynthesis, right? Where we, we've got water which has electrons on it. We pull those electrons off to make oxygen, Right? And we take those two electrons and we reduce, the, we reduce something. And, and then we can pass those electrons on and we can make the, the plant can live or it can make glucose out of that. So basically this kind of um, either or situation. This is a concept that we're going to talk a little bit about, this idea of a standard reduction potential. Okay? Basically the standard reduction potential refers kind of to the affinity of one molecule for electrons compared to another one, okay? So typically, electrons go from uh, a metabolite with a lower standard reduction potential to a higher standard reduction potential. That's an energetically favored reaction. You can go the other way, but you're going to have to potentially get energy to be able to do that, right? like in photosynthesis. Okay, so the first step that we're going to talk about in that, in that pyruvate down to, down to basically our completely um, oxidized carbons from glucose is this conversion of pyruvate to acetyl-CoA. And this is done, this is one example I was talking about this kind of this um, substrate channeling. This is done by a complex called pyruvate dehydrogenase. It's that, the, the, the name pyruvate dehydrogenase, it's also called pyruvate dehydrogenase complex, okay? It's a multi-enzyme complex. There's actually several chemical reactions that happen in this to convert basically this three-carbon pyruvate into this two-carbon acetyl-CoA. Okay. So when we finished uh, glycolysis, we had pyruvate. And you can see that there's one end of it that's basically as oxidized as it's going to get. This is basically a carbon dioxide on the end, this carboxylic acid group. Okay. We're going to split that off. We want to get rid of that carbon dioxide because there's not much more we can do with it. There's no more electrons to pull off of that group. So that's going to be taken off as carbon dioxide. And then we want to have this activated version of acetate, this activated version of acetic acid. It's activated insofar as that it's linked to this coenzyme A. And we'll talk about it a little bit about coenzyme A. So basically, it's got, coenzyme A has got this sulfur group on it, which will link to this carbon. And this is a very high energy bond, this thioester. And so that basically activates acetyl-CoA to be able to very happily do subsequent chemical reactions. So we're going to take pyruvate. We're going to take this coenzyme A. This has uh, got its, so this is in the, in the reduced form. We're going to uh, reduce NAD into NADH, okay? And our sum of our reaction is going to be basically an NADH, a carbon dioxide, an acetyl-CoA, and it's going to be done by this whole enzyme, which requires, it's basically effectively three enzymes, which we're going to talk about. And each enzyme is kind of neat, has its own cofactor. We've talked about cofactors. Each enzyme has kind of its own cofactor that it needs to be able to do that. This is a very exergonic reaction, right? So basically, uh, this is very favored. So it's, this delta G naught prime is, is quite negative. So the sum of the reaction is a decarboxylation, right? Uh, an oxidation of the C2, right? And thus a reduction of something else. That reduction is the NADH, the NAD to NADH. And we activate this uh, acetyl group with this coenzyme A, this thioester. So, uh, this is a figure, a table we had from a previous textbook. I didn't find one that was nice in your textbook, so I kept it. Okay. These are the three enzymes of pyruvate dehydrogenase that each require their own enzyme. Right? So there's this pyruvate dehydrogenase. Okay. This, is, uh, the, this is the part of the enzyme that will decarboxylate the pyruvate. That's the first step. And we came across uh, thymine pyrophosphate already. Right? So this was an enzyme that we needed before. Uh, to basically do a decarboxylation reaction. And in general, often when you do, when you split off carbon dioxide, often you need TPP to be able to do that. The second cofactor, so the second enzyme is this dihydrolipoyl transacetylase, right? This is basically one to transfer the acetyl group to coenzyme A, and it requires this lipoic acid coenzyme. We'll, we'll show you that. And then there's this when that happens, when this dihydrolipoyl transacetylase um, 
catalyzes that reaction, it becomes oxidized. So you have to re-reduce it again, or the enzyme gets stuck. And so you've got this, dihydro this dehydrogenase. This is basically a redox reaction to re-reduce E2. Okay, so it re-oxidizes re re the dihydrolipoamide, which we'll cover. And so you need these coenzymes to be able to do that. So we'll cover that in more detail now. Hopefully it'll become clear. So this is basically the cycle of it. And it's broken down into five steps with the different cofactors. And this E1 enzyme, this two E2 enzyme, and this three enzyme, E3 enzyme. So step one, we start with pyruvate from glycolysis, right? Here's this uh, TPP that we talked about, right? This thymine, uh, thymine pyrophosphate. So pyruvate is linked to this pyruvate decarboxylase and decarboxylates in this reaction that requires this TPP. This Thymine is, is, you'll see it on your cereal box, right? This is one of the B vitamins, right? This is um, vitamin B1. And your body will take thymine. So we don't make our own thymine. We need it as a, as a, a dietary supplement. So we, uh, this vitamin B1 will get converted to thymine pyrophosphate, and then you've got this thymine pyrophosphate. And what happens is, in this first reaction, uh, this first enzyme, this E1, will split off a carbon dioxide, okay? And then this uh, basically acetic acid derivative is covalently linked to the TPP, okay? We call this a hydroxyethyl group, okay? But it's basically, if you were to knock this off of TPP, you would basically get acetic acid. Okay? And so now we want to uh, transfer this uh, hydroxyethyl group to, this is the E2 enzyme here, right? And this is the uh, lipoic acid. This is the lipoic acid uh, cofactor for the E2 enzyme, okay? You can see here that it's um, oxidized. It's basically got a disulfide bond in it, right? We're going to add this uh, hydroxyethyl group, okay, we're going to take the C2 of the hydroxyethyl group, and we're going to put on this acetyl group, okay, so now this becomes, so basically this disulfide bond is broken, okay, you've got this SH group here, okay, and now this second sulfur of that lipoic acid is covalently linked to that acetic acid group, okay. This is now easy, it's now easy to take that acetyl group and transfer it to the, to the sulfur of coenzyme A, which we'll talk about in a couple slides. So coenzyme A is this big, long kind of cofactor that's got an SH group on the end of it, right? And so you're basically swapping the sulfur here, the sulfur here on the C2 enzyme, you're swapping the acetyl group off of this sulfur and onto this one. And now this acetyl group can float off as acetyl-CoA. So we basically activated acetyl-CoA for subsequent steps. That's going to go into Krebs cycle, or citric acid cycle. The problem with this now for subsequent rounds of pyruvate decarboxylase function, oh, before I get to that, sorry. So this is the lipoic acid that I talked about. So you've got this E2 enzyme. This, there's a lysine in it. This lipoic acid is kind of attached to it. So this is basically the cofactor for that enzyme. And it's got this, what looks like a disulfide bond in it, right? Now what you can do is you can reduce that disulfide bond and basically make these two SH groups, right? When, that, when this lipoic acid accepts the acetyl group, it's basically reducing that disulfide bond, right? You've got this SH group here, but instead of putting in a, a hydrogen here, you've, you've put the acetyl group there, okay? So it's basically this carrier, this cofactor in the E2 enzyme that acts as this carrier for this acetyl group. This is what arsenic does. So um, arsenic is a nasty, nasty poison. Okay. Arsenic is really, really good at um, becoming covalently linked to these diphyl groups, like what you see here. So you can see this form of lipoic acid. Uh, arsenic can bind to this and form this irreversible conjugate. So basically, during arsenic poisoning, 
one of many things that would go wrong is, is this basically an activation of pyruvate dehydrogenase. I don't know if you guys read Agatha Christie, but people are always getting off with arsenic poisoning in those books. Okay, so sorry, going back to this. So we've got this acetyl-CoA, which has been split off. The problem is that when we uh, reduced this disulfide bond here, okay, this reduced lipolysine group, well, now this is done for being able to uh, go around another cycle of the enzyme. What you have to do is you have to reoxidize it, right? Um, all right, so sorry, we haven't gotten to that yet. Um, so this, I'm still talking about this, this basically this transfer of the coenzyme A to acetyl-CoA. I'm going to show you what coenzyme A looks like. It's got a sulfur on it also, um, which is a derivative of pantothenic acid, which is vitamin B5. Okay. So again, this coenzyme A acts as this carrier for this acetyl group, and there's this high energy um, thioester bond that we're going to subsequently get energy from in, in citric acid cycle. So that's what this looks like. So here's this you do not need to memorize the structure of coenzyme A, for goodness sake. So uh, you've got coenzyme A, which looks like it's got an adenine. It's got a, so it looks like basically a nucleotide, right? It's got an adenine. It's got a sugar. And then it's got this pantothenic acid that's been linked to the 5 prime, to this basically um, diphosphate on the 5 prime carbon. And then this mercaptoethylamine group that's been linked to the pantothenic acid. And that's this, this is the sulfur group we care about. That's what's going to be linked to acetic to acetic acid effectively to make acetyl, to make acetyl-CoA. Right? So you should bear in mind that coenzyme A has this pantothenic acid group in it. Okay? You don't expect you to know the structure, but pantothenic acid is a required vitamin to make coenzyme A. Okay? There's this important sulfur group here, and there's uh, this piece of coenzyme A that looks like uh, an, ad, an, aden an adenosine diphosphate. So this is basically the reaction. It's coenzyme A, acetic acid. It's not acetic acid. It's been, it's, remember, this acetic acid is basically attached to TPP in, in pyruvate dehydrogenase. But basically, you're going to make acetyl-CoA. And this is a very high-energy bond, this thioester. So that's why we call this, this acetic group has been basically activated. It's now very happy to go into subsequent reactions and uh, break that thioester bond and, and capture that energy in some way. Okay, finally. So, step four. So, we've got this reduced lipoamide, right? We have to reoxidize it or it can't go around, this, go around the, the horn again, can't go around the turn again. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to take these electrons on this reduced lipoamide and we're going to convert them onto an FAD that's part of the enzyme, right? This FAD gets the uh, SH groups get oxidized to regenerate basically this disulfide those electrons get passed onto FAD to make an FADH2. So this uh, FAD is a cofactor for the E3 enzyme. This is basically, it's, a, it's the dihydrolipoyl dehydrogenase. It's a redox enzyme to, re, to reoxidize this lipolysine. Right? It's going to reoxidize it and as in, in so doing, uh, reduce FAD and FADH2. Now we need to basically regenerate the E3 enzyme. So to do that, we take those two electrons on FADH2 and we make an NADH with it. Now this NADH can go on into oxidative phosphorylation, the same as all the other NADHs we're going to be talking about. And so this, the, the sum of the pyruvate dehydrogenase cycle is we've taken pyruvate, we've lost a carbon dioxide, we've made an acetyl-CoA, and we've also made an NADH. And by the end of that, we've we're now ready to make to take a cell go away and, and go down go downstream further. So that's basically what I have here. And this is kind of a theme that's going to take place going from pyruvate to the end of Krebs cycle, the end of citric acid cycle. Um, this idea of moving our carbon compounds through different intermediates to basically shed off carbon dioxide. So we've lost the, f the point is, is we've lost the first one, right? And remember, there's two pyruvates for every glucose. So two of the six carbons of glucose 
have been lost, of, as of, as, lost as carbon dioxide at this point. We've made an NDH, and we've got this coenzyme A acetyl group. So this acetyl-CoA and this very high energy bond that's associated with, with this. Questions? All right, so here's the summary of a lot of slides coming up. Uh, we're going to talk about each of these uh, steps in the next few slides. This is basically what happens to the acetyl-CoA. Okay. We call this the citric acid cycle because it's got citrate as an intermediate. Uh, it was discovered by, I think his name is Hans Krebs. I didn't realize. I was actually... Um, my wife went to University of Sheffield in UK for undergrad, and we were visiting it this past summer, and I didn't realize he did all this at the University of Sheffield. So we were there, and there was all this stuff about Krebs. It was really kind of cool. Um, people have been learning about citric acid cycle in undergrad biochem for, I, I had to do, I, you know, many years ago, I was exactly where you are, learning the exact same thing. And so it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, important thing in biochemistry. So it's fun to find out who did it and where. So yeah, we call this Krebs cycle, citric acid cycle, tricarboxylic acid cycle. We're going to take this acetyl-CoA, convert it into carbon dioxide, and more of these electron carriers and some ATP and some GTP. So we're going to go into each of these steps individually. We're going to cover all the intermediates, uh, the enzymes that do that, where Again, you do not need, because I, only, I said only for glycolysis do you need to know the structures. So you do not need to know the structures, okay? But we're going to spend the next 10, 20 minutes talking about this, and this is how we're filling this section of the course. So when you ask me, do we need to know it, the answer is yes. All right? Uh, if you didn't need to know this, then I'd have to talk to us about something else for 20 minutes, and you'd have to learn that. So this is what we're doing now. Uh, you should know the names of things, you should know the enzymes, and you should certainly know when... ATP is made, when we split off carbon dioxide, those types of things. Okay. So this is our um, first step. Okay. We're going to take acetyl-CoA and we're going to add it to oxaloacetate. Oxaloacetate we already talked about a little bit. We made oxaloacetate when we were converting pyruvate back up to glucose, if you remember. Um, we're going to take acetyl-CoA and we're going to link it to oxaloacetate. So this is a two-carbon compound. So oxaloacetate is going to be at the end of the at the end of citric acid cycle. We're going to come back and regenerate oxaloacetate. If you remember that slide in in the first lecture on metabolism, we talked about the different types of pathways, right? There was a linear pathway A to B to C to D. This is a this is a cyclic pathway, right? Because we're basically this is just going this this oxaloacetate just can just in theory go around in circles, right? We're going to add acetyl CoA to it. As the cycle goes around, those two carbons in acetyl-CoA are going to be metabolized, but at the end of it, we're going to regenerate oxaloacetate again. Okay. So we call this a cyclic pathway. So we're going to take acetyl-CoA, it's a two-carbon compound, and we're going to link it to oxaloacetate to make the six-carbon citrate. Okay. So we're back up to six carbons again. Um, this is a very uh, exergonic reaction. It's very favored because basically we are breaking that thioester. We're using the energy in that thioester to make citrate. Okay. Um, the, typically, the concentrations of uh, oxaloacetate in cells are very low. Right? So um, the fact that this is such an exergonic reaction is what helps favor this reaction going to the right. Okay. The equilibrium of these two things is, is really slanted away from oxaloacetate. Oxaloacetate levels are always very low in the cell. But because this is so exergonic, it's still favored. Okay. And we consume a water of molecule to do this. Basically, this is a hydrolysis reaction. So to be able to subsequently metabolize this, we need to isomerize citrate into isocitrate. Okay. So this is an isomerization reaction. Basically, what we're going to do is we're going to take this hydroxyl group on this carbon here and move it to this carbon here. So basically one carbon closer to this, to the end of this chain. Okay. Uh, basically what we're going to do is we're going to dehyd uh, dehydrate citrate to make this ene 
double bond, the CC double bond, okay? So we pull off this hydroxyl and this proton to make a water, and then we're just going to add a water back on again. But when we add the water back on, we're not going to put the hydroxyl back where it was. We're going to put it down on this carbon here. Could be. I'm not. I'm not positive. I don't. I don't recall exactly. So the question is, why does this happen when you've got a positive delta G? It could be that under yeah, under cellular condition. That's often a thing that we talked about. I'm not going to say it about this slide because I'm not for sure. Certainly, when we were talking about glycolysis and those ones where we actually showed you the numbers, that was the case. I'm not sure about this one, to be honest. Um, bear in mind that again. There's a similar concept a little bit to what we talked about with glycolysis, though. The, 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 the delta G of the whole thing obviously has to be negative, right? If, it's not, if the whole delta G of the whole thing is not negative, then it won't, it won't go. You're allowed to have steps in there that, for which the delta G is positive, so long as other steps that are also part of the same process are negative. If you remember on the last one, at least, as an example, the delta G was very negative. So there's going to be a lot of citrate forming at that as as that's running and so this is going to bottleneck this is going to basically build up unless you can move it down the path and so even though this reaction as drawn is not favored as you make more and more of this then you're going to be pushing that reaction to the right okay um, we call this a tertiary alcohol meaning it's an alcohol that's kind of three carbons away from the end right one two three uh, and this on this end it's one two three carbons from the end you can't oxidize tertiary alcohols without breaking carbon-carbon uh, bonds. So they this is one of the, according to the textbook, this is why they isomerize it. We isomerize this tertiary alcohol, this hydroxyl group, which is three carbons from the end of this, into a secondary alcohol. So this alcohol group, this hydroxyl group, is now only two carbons from the end. Okay? And now that's easier to, bless you, now that's easier to, to oxidize. <coughs> So what we're going to do now is we're going to take isocitrate, this isocitrate that we made in the previous step, and uh, oxidize it into alpha-ketoglutarate by this isocitrate dehydrogenase. That step, uh, so what we're, when we oxidize this isocitrate, we're going to reduce an NAD into NADH or an NADP into an NADPH. It can be either for this enzyme. So it's NAD brackets P. It could be NAD or NADP into NADH or NADPH. Okay. But again, it's a, we're going to oxidize this and, and reduce this. There's going to be a loss of a carbon dioxide when we do this. Okay. So as this happens, we're going to basically split off a carbon dioxide and generate this alpha-ketoglutarate. So this is our second carbon dioxide that we've taken off of pyruvate. Okay. So now we're down to uh, four of the six carbons in glucose down, two to go. And isocitrate, which was a six-carbon comp compound, is now a five-carbon compound. Okay. And in the process of doing that, we've made another reduced electron carrier, in this case, either NADPH or NADH. For simplicity, we're going to probably talk about just NADH because we're going to talk about how those are converted into ATP in a little while. There's actually a manganese ion that's important for this enzyme. Beyond that, I don't really want to get into the chemistry of it, because, we're, again, we're not so much talking about structures. Now, if you remember, we took off our CoA when we went from acetyl-CoA to, to citrate. We're actually going to put a CoA back on now. We're going to take this 5-carbon alpha-ketoglutarate, which has got this carboxylic acid group on the end. Okay? We're going to oxidize alpha-ketoglutarate to 6-cinyl-CoA by this alpha-ketoglutarate dehydrogenase. The interesting thing is that the reaction scheme of this react, the, the chemistry of this reaction and the enzyme that does this, it's 
basically identical to what we did with pyruvate to make acetyl-CoA. If you remember, we took, pyru we took pyruvate, a three-carbon compound, we lost one carbon to make acetyl-CoA, we made an NADH, and we linked the acetyl group to a coenzyme A. The chemistry of this is basically identical, and the enzyme looks it basically looks identical. This alpha-ketoglutarate dehydrogenase complex Instead of going from a three-carbon compound to a two, we're going to go from a five-carbon compound to a four. So we're going to, again, just like pyruvate dehydrogenase, we're going to knock off a, a carbon dioxide. We're going to take the remaining carbons. For pyruvate dehydrogenase complex, it was a two-carbon compound. For alpha-ketoglutarate dehydrogenase complex, it's a four-carbon compound that's remaining. And we're going to link that to CoA. So basically, coenzyme A comes in, and instead of acetyl-CoA at the end, you've which is a two-carbon compound, you've got succinyl-CoA, which is a four-carbon compound, okay? And because, and then similar to pyruvate dehydrogenase complex, we're going to make an NADH when we do that, okay? So it's, the chemistry is identical. The enzyme that does this looks very similar. It has the same cofactors. It's got TPP, the lipoic acid, the FADH, same cofactors, same chemistry as the pyruvate dehydrogenase complex. And that's it now. We've now split off our last carbon dioxide, right? All the carbons that came in as glucose has been shed, have been shed as, as carbon dioxide. We've made this high-energy thioester, right? We still want to probably get some energy out of that. Remember this high-energy thioester we had with acetyl-CoA? So our four we have to regenerate oxaloacetate, right? We started with that. We've got this, these four carbons here are going to become the four carbons of oxaloacetate. We need to regenerate oxaloacetate. But we're going to try to get more energy out of it while we do that, right? We've got this very high-energy thioester here, which we can hopefully get some more energy out of before we're done. <clears throat> so now we're going to split off that coenzyme A from succinyl-CoA, and the succinyl-CoA synthetase is going to just make succinate. Okay? Because this, we've, remember, we've got this high-energy thioester here. We might as well try to do something useful with it. Right? As we split off that coenzyme A and regenerate free coenzyme A, we're going to make a GTP. Right? So this is a very exergonic reaction, but the sum of this reaction is barely negative because a lot of that energy was put into making a GTP. Right? So if we were just to hydrolyze that succinyl-CoA, it would be on the order of minus 30 uh, in, the, in the delta G naught prime. But because we couple that to this GTP uh, synthesis, the net uh, delta G naught prime is a lot closer to zero, but it's still favored. So that's good. We made a GTP. That's good. And again, because it's the enzyme that's doing this on the enzyme itself, again, we call this a substrate level phosphorylation. The ATP that we're going to be making later with all those reduced cofactors, that's not going to be what we call substrate level phosphorylation. This is actually happening on the enzyme that's doing this chemistry. So now we've got succinate. Uh, we're going to oxidize succinate to fumarate by doing a, uh, another oxidation, okay, by the succinate dehydrogenase. So we're going to make, we're going to take an FA, succinate dehydrogenase. This is an enzyme that's found tightly bound to the inner mitochondrial membrane. And we're going to, I'm going to point this out to you again next class when we talk about oxidative phosphorylation. All right. I'm going to show you, oh yeah, remember we talked about succinate, here it is. It's going to be one of the enzymes that's part of the electron transport chain in the mitochondria. Uh, delta G naught prime is basically uh, zero on this, but we have the benefit of making an FADH2. Okay. So now we've made another reduced electron carrier. We've made uh, fumarate. Fumarate subsequently gets hydrated into malate. Okay. So this is a, so the enzyme that does this, fumarase, this is basically a hydration reaction. We take fumarate and we're going to add water across this double bond to make malate. Okay. And then finally, our last step is we're going to oxidize malate back into oxaloacetate. So one more time, we're going to have a dehydrogenase, okay, that takes an NAD plus, 
and reduces NAD plus into NADH. Okay. So we're making one more NADH. We've regenerated oxaloacetate. This is very unfavored. Okay. But if you remember that first step of Krebs cycle or citric acid cycle, joining oxaloacetate to acetyl-CoA, that was very energetically favored. Okay. So because oxaloacetate is so low, because that, that step is so favored, making oxaloacetate, making citrate from oxaloacetate and acetyl-CoA, because that's so favored, then that, that reaction gets, oxaloacetate and acetyl-CoA gets moved towards citrate. So that keeps oxaloacetate levels extremely, extremely low. We already talked about that. Because oxaloacetate levels are very low, this reaction will go forward from, from left to right. Remember, these are just going to be in equilibrium with one another. You would think that malate would be the um, metabolite that would be in much higher abundance, and it is, but as oxaloacetate is removed from the right-hand side, the reaction will go from right to left. So you can think of it basically as you know, this reaction, which is very um, endergonic. The next reaction is very exergonic, so they kind of offset each other a little bit. So this is an important slide, right? This is kind of basically the sum total of, so there's, there's, we talked about like the different metabolites. There's also the enzymes that do it. But we talked about, you know, if we're trying to keep track of where things are happening in terms of when we're making these things that are going to generate energy and what's happening to our carbons that came from glucose, this is a nice summary slide for that. We're going to start with acetyl-CoA and join it up with oxaloacetate. This is two carbon, this is four carbon. We make a six carbon citrate. We isomerize that into isocitrate. We lose our first carbon dioxide, and we make an NADH when we do that, right? So we make the six carbon isocitrate into the five carbon alpha ketoglutarate. This reaction of alpha ketoglutarate to succinyl-CoA is very similar to the reaction of pyruvate to acetyl-CoA in that we lose a carbon dioxide, again, similar to the previous step. We make an NADH, and we make a new thioester in our remaining four-carbon compound, okay? So now we've lost, the, we lost one carbon dioxide when we went from pyruvate to acetyl-CoA. Here's the second, here's the third. All our glucose is now carbon dioxide. We've made an NADH here and here. We've got this high-energy thioester that we turn into a GTP, which can, if we, if we want, can subsequently be swapped for ATP. Then we have succinate. We need to get that back to oxaloacetate. So we have this series of uh, oxidations, and there's a hydration here. Uh, the sum of, this is an uh, oxidation reaction. We reduce uh, FAD and FADH2. We do a hydration here, and then we reduce uh, NAD and then NADH, and subsequently oxidize malate back into oxaloacetate. And we're back to where we were. Yeah. How did Krebs find these steps? I'd love to know that. Um, I expect it's really quite fascinating. I mean, um, I expect that it has to do with trying to isolate enzymes to homogeneity and taking intermediates in the pathway. And, and I mean, in a cell, these all get interconverted very quickly, right? But if you were to take, I don't know, aconitase or, or alpha ketoglutarate dehydrogenase, one of these enzymes, and purify them to homogeneity, and then you add the right substrate, you're going to get the next, you're going to get the product, and then, and then you piece it all together. This is like old school, hardcore biochem. It's really fun stuff. It's challenging, but neat. I'm flying along here, huh? We're going to be done early. You guys are all upset about having to memorize, memorize all these things, but... But we're done early. Yeah. Yeah, in a, in a fashion. So this, the question is, this kind of goes around twice, one for each pyruvate? In a fashion, yes, but they wouldn't, they'd probably be happening in parallel, right? Yeah. Um, it doesn't do one acetyl-CoA and go around and then take the other one and then go around again. There's many for, in a mitochondria, there's going to be thousands of each of these, and so they can all happen in parallel.
So this kind of gets a little bit to what I was uh, referring to a little bit with acetyl-CoA. Uh, it's not shown here for acetyl-CoA, but um, the point of the slide is to say that um, Krebs cycle or citric acid cycle does not happen in isolation, right? We've got pyruvate and we make acetyl-CoA and then that makes citrate, et cetera, it goes around and then you come, you can do it this way. But the point is that there are many places in this pathway where you can take something off and split it off and do something else with it, right? You can take, this is a major branch point, alpha-ketoglutarate gets siphoned off to make glutamate and that is the basis for making many, many um, amino acids, okay? Now, you're going to need to make, if you were to do that too much, then you're going to run out of alpha-ketoglutarate, right? You're going to need to basically regenerate. If you pull carbons off of the cycle, then you can't use that skeleton anymore to metabolize the acetyl-CoA. So you have to have ways of remaking alpha-ketoglutarate, and there are ways to do that. But the point is just that a lot of these intermediates in citric acid cycle are also intermediates in other pathways. So they're, they're there for other things, too. We already talked about taking pyruvate, going right down to oxaloacetate. And then if you want to remake glucose, that's the first step of gluconeogenesis, right? Um, and so, the, again, there's many other steps in here, which I don't want to get into too much. But uh, just the point is that you're going to, you're, you have many opportunities to split things off here and do other things with it. And we call this citric acid cycle. Is, is it anabolic or catabolic? I mean, strictly speaking, uh, with respect to metabolizing glucose, you'd probably call this catabolic, right? You're taking glucose and you're breaking it down into carbon dioxide and getting energy out of it. But in this context of taking these intermediates and making other things with them, then we could all also call these intermediates of citric acid cycle, they take, place, they take part in anabolic reactions also. So we can use the term amphibolic. So is citric acid cycle catabolic or anabolic? It's both. It's amphibolic. Okay? You can break things down, but you can also build things up with it. And then this kind of, I mean, we could go into great detail on this. Um, I do want to point out a few concepts on this. Um, we talked last class about regulation of pathways. We talked about regulation of uh, phosphofructokinase, PFK1, by, you know, one of the things that regulated phosphofructokinase was ATP, right? If there's lots of ATP, why are you burning glucose? So you can probably do other things with that glucose. And so ATP will bind that enzyme and inhibit it. Similarly, there are other things in citric acid cycle that inhibit uh, inhibit reactions and, and, and give you chances to branch off and do other things. I highlighted on the last slide alpha-ketoglutarate, which is important for making uh, um, glutamic acid, glutamate, okay? If, you know, this is basically feedback inhibition. So if, you, you're, make, if you're making lots of succinyl-CoA, it's going to come back and inhibit. So basically, if, if this is getting blocked up because you're not You've got all the energy you need. All the NADH that you have in the cell is being metabolized into ATP. So the, basically the, the conveyor belt is blocking up because you've got basically all the energy you can handle. Well, then succinyl-CoA is going to build up. It's going to come back and inhibit alpha-ketoglutarate dehydrogenase complex. And now that's basically a signal to take, why don't you take alpha-ketoglutarate and do other things with it, right? Why don't you make some amino acids? Why don't you do things that are more productive than metabolizing more fuel when you have all you need, right? So basically, there's a lot of places on here. Basically, you can imagine that all the things that are associated with being replete with energy, having lots of energy, having lots of ATP, having lots of NADH, having lots of acetyl-CoA here, they're going to basically inhibit pyruvate dehydrogenase complex and ask pyruvate dehydrogenase complex to do something else with that pyruvate. Why would you break it down into energy when you've got energy already? On the other hand, these things that are associated with uh, low energy stores, AMP, oxidized NAD+, right? It's not been reduced, it's oxidized. Calcium stores have to do with uh, signaling in, in cells that has to do with whether or not your cell's working or not. 
these things are going to basically activate pyruvate dehydrogenase complex to go this way. And often what you see is that these uh, metabolites that inhibit a particular enzyme happen at branch points, right? We talked about how alpha-ketoglutarate can go off and become glutamic acid. Uh, Acetyl-CoA, we're going to cover in a few lectures how acetyl-CoA can split off and become fats. If, you're, if your energy levels are high, right, why would you burn energy to make ATP that you don't need? Maybe it'd be better to store that energy and make some fats out of it, make some lipids. Well, if ATP levels are high, then it's going to inhibit this conversion of acetyl-CoA to citrate, and now that acetyl-CoA can go off and, and make a fatty acid and store that energy. So it's often at these branch points you see these kinds of uh, opportunities for regulation. Yeah. Yeah. For, I think it was, uh, was it this one? Isocitrate dehydrogenase, I think, yeah. What if it's NADPH? Yeah, NADP, NADPH. So, I mean, like I said, for simplicity with respect to citric acid cycle and making energy, we're going to presume it makes NAD and, and make NADH. It can also make NADPH, and we're going to talk a little bit about NADPH in a few lectures. NADPH, NAD, like I, I think I alluded to this in the first sec lecture on metabolism, NAD is what you need, is what you use when you want to oxidize something. When you want to oxidize isocitrate, use NAD to make NADH, and then isocitrate gets oxidized into alpha-ketoglutarate. Use NADPH when you want to uh, reduce something, right? So NADPH, so there's NAD that gets converted to NADH. Typically, it's NADPH that gets converted to NADP. And so we're going to use NADPH in a few lectures during a chemical reaction where we want to uh, reduce the metabolite instead of oxidize it. And we haven't, we haven't done that yet because we're only talking about catabolism. We're talking about getting electrons off of sugars and making ATP with it. We've only been talking about oxidizing metabolites. We haven't talked about reducing them yet, but we will. When we talk about fatty acid synthesis, making fatty acids, to make fatty acids, you need to take electrons and put them on carbons instead of pull electrons off of carbons. And so if you make NADPH, that can be a source of electrons to do, to do anabolism, to build something up, which we haven't really gotten to yet. Where's the what? The classroom? The calcium. Oh, where's the calcium coming from? Yeah, we're not going to cover this so much. Um, if you take a physiology course, I think one of the, one of the, one of the classic things that calcium stores come from is when you activate like a muscle cell, you've got calcium stores in the endoplasmic reticulum that are released in response to a stimulus. And that acts as a signaling molecule for the cell to do lots of things. So calcium stores can change, calcium levels in a cell can change based on the stimulus the cell has received to do something. But that's more a physiology course question. Okay, awesome. Uh, again, we'll uh, office hours in, in a little more than, in about an hour in LSB 213.